Welcome to Inside Inclusion, the uh, original podcast by Impress Jewelry Creations here in Granger, Indiana. I'm Ashley, and I'm here with Bill. Uh, Bill is going to be my co-host. He's also my boss. So, say hello, Bill. Hey there. Okay. Um, Today, we're actually going to talk about you and talk about Impress. This is a great way to start the series, great pilot episode. Um, So, let's just jump right into it. When did you decide you wanted to get involved with jewelry? I mean, it's a pretty specialized field. It is. There's not that many goldsmiths slash jewelers uh, as part of the population. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty small segment, sector, if you will. Yeah. But uh, back in 1996, I had an opportunity to observe and... Uh, we won't talk about how old I was then. <laughs> Right. 1996 seems like a, a lifetime ago but I was able to observe a friend that was uh, a learning clock making and jewelry Ooh. repair as really as a hobby and the, hobby. it was and so he was doing a little bit of work for a couple of jewelry stores this is back in western Massachusetts where I'm from and uh, he decided he was going to move away to Vermont and vacate some of these uh, clients that he had established, jewelry stores that he had established doing some uh, small jewelry repair work for. And he asked if I wanted to uh, watch him for a little bit, see if it was something of interest to me. So in between um, my regular day job and night job, I was newly married at the time, I would watch Mike, his name was, and uh, determined it was something that I had an interest in. It was, it was fine. Uh, Articulate work, if you will, it's just obviously very precise and measurements and, and art combined. And so I thought it was something that I would be interested in doing. And so shortly before Mike left and actually moved, opening up this position, uh, I signed up with GIA, which is the Gemological Institute of America. Generally, it, it's viewed as the institution. It's a college level organization that you can go to and get a four-year degree or any part of a degree relating to gemology. And so GIA is gemology like Harvard is to law. It is. It's it's regarded as the best. There are other uh, avenues one can go for a, a jewelry-centric education. GIA is renowned worldwide as the best. They have campuses all over uh, the world, but Carlsbad and, and New York are, are the two primary campuses in, in the U.S., but they offer extension classes in all kinds of cities. And so I was able to jump in specifically on the goldsmithing side. Goldsmithing is jewelry repair. So if you break a chain or a stone falls out of a ring or you need a diamond set into a mounting that you've selected for an engagement ring, a goldsmith is the name of the term for a person that would do that work. That's your mechanic, basically. It's it's your gold doctor, your gold mechanic. Um, In that, you, you certainly have to become familiar if you're going to be good at it with uh, lots of the gemology related things besides structure, besides beauty and art, form and function, all of these things um, you have to absorb in that. So I came out of jewelry school with GIA, ready, wear, rearing, and, and willing to go. And I started doing repairs for a, at peak in, back in Massachusetts for seven jewelry stores, chain stores and family stores that were outsourcing their repairs. Uh, to me because they didn't have the the 
uh, studio like we've got here at Impress. They didn't have the benches Correct. where people could work on it there. Yep. And so I would go, or Stacy would go and pick up things and then bring it back to my shop and then I'd work on it and we'd deliver it a week later or whatnot. And so that's how I got my start. But it was really interesting. Within two years, from 96 to 98, it, it became apparent that unless I worked underneath what I would now consider a master goldsmith or someone with just a tremendous more uh, higher level of experience than what I had at that point, that I was going to plateau or I was going to take a, a really, really long time to get to the point of being advanced. Uh, and so I began a search of looking for a place that I could work underneath someone in that kind of relationship. Uh, you know, we think about in the trades in the United States, whether it's a carpenter or a plumber, we have master level and we have a journeyman and we have apprentice level. Yeah. And in the jewelry industry in the United States, there isn't a hierarchy of training that way. There's nothing, nothing formal. Nothing formal established. In Europe there is, uh, but not in the U.S. So I just decided to go looking for a store that I could work underneath a goldsmith that had a lot more experience. And I found one in South Bend, Indiana. Um, had a job offer there and in College Station, Texas. And um, for a number of different reasons besides just liking the idea of working under Dan Leonhardt, who is a goldsmith that works for me now, but I consider my mentor in the business. Um, it was uh, it was a transition from being my own boss in my own shop to working at another store underneath Dan as the, the chief goldsmith at, at that place. And, and that's where I really cut my teeth over the next decade working in that environment. You went from being a boss to being entry-level goldsmith I was, yeah I was, bottom it, of the totem pole it, it really was there and you've worked your way back up and you're on boss again it is it's it's been full circle on that and i like the challenge of it and obviously the bigger picture sometimes of, of the elements of that but i still get to work at the bench even today and this is now 24 years later which is crazy um, but 24 years in, in the business and i'm and i'm still young and i feel like that i'm still new at this in, in some ways and in fact it's a point of pride and at impress our goldsmiths i have dan here who's been doing it for 40 some odd years yeah i have joe sarah here who's been doing it for about 30 years and tanya that works for us she's been doing it for over 25 years all three of them so you're still the baby i'm still the baby they still have more experience than i do and i defer to them in, in a lot of ways so um, cool. but we bring a lot of experience uh, to the table uh here on that and, and i continue to learn from their experience base so you know having that jeweler that goldsmithing background what is probably your favorite project or favorite piece that you have worked on so there's been a lot and there's a lot that are super memorable from an emotional standpoint where you know pieces that are just hugely important to an individual's family an inherited piece with a storied past you know great-grandparents out of World War One, being given a diamond, you know, on, on the return back to the states, and it being passed out in the family. There's just so many of those that make coming to work daily enjoyable because there's enough of that. So those are all meaningful from an interest and maybe size standpoint, value standpoint. Um, I was tasked to build a, a ring, a, a, just a gorgeous cocktail ring, a statement piece, really a family heirloom piece out of uh, a Perrier, but tourmaline. And, and tourmaline is 
a gemstone that's found uh, throughout the world in different places, including California. Some of the best pink tourmalines come yeah. from uh, Southern California, interestingly. But Perieba tourmaline is a really special variant. It's almost a Windex blue gemstone, and it, it doesn't occur very much in very many places on the planet at all. In fact, for years after it was discovered, which is really only in the last few decades, they became aware of it. It was found in Brazil in a particular state of Brazil that was called Perieba. So like the state of Indiana, Perieba is a state of Brazil. And within that, um, there's emerald mines and whatnot there. They, they found this unusual gemstone, tested it, and found it. Since then, we've discovered it um, in a couple other places, but the best and, and the most rare material still comes from, uh, from Brazil. But um, the client had had a stone uh, that they had in their possession for a while. They ended up having the stone broken Cleave, cleaved in two uh, just before Christmas back this is probably 10 years ago now time flies but and I had to get the bad news that the stone was irrecoverable I mean we could cut it into two things and make something but the stone and it's all its value which was probably at that point a hundred thousand dollar gemstone I mean it, it was significant and it was in a nice pretty ring so the next six months to eight months was about finding another world-class gem that doesn't exist on the planet very often and between the Tucson Gem Show which is one of the largest colored gem show uh, conventions on the planet uh, couldn't find one uh, to the Hong Kong uh, colored gemstone show which happens a little bit later on couldn't find one there uh, all the way back through into May of that following year in the Las Vegas jewelry convention which is a series of shows that happen which collectively is the largest jewelry show in the world and waiting for a gem dealer to come from somewhere else on the planet that had one of these stones for sale that we could replace this client stone. And ultimately it turned out to be for nothing. We couldn't find one. We couldn't find one that was that shape, that size, that would fit in that ring. And, and so the question became up, do we want to invest in a nicer one, a bigger one? And are they... Bigger is better. Are, are we willing to spend more money to find that? And the answer ultimately was yes. And so then the search modified to finding another gemstone, which, which you did. And it was an incredible pear shape, uh, 10 carat plus perieba that was just absolutely stunning. And, and, and I built another ring around it. And I spent the better part of a month just designing the ring, uh, which had accent diamonds around it at all different angles to reflect light back into this gemstone. And then, of course, with client approval through the, the, the process of seeing sketches and whatnot, ended up building this piece with, with the team around me. To, to this day, the most, from a colored stone standpoint, from a complexity standpoint, from the amount of time that I put into it standpoint, the most valuable piece that I've worked on. And it's probably a $300,000 piece today, maybe even a little bit more because the price has gone up. And you know we've, we've had the privilege of working with clients on bigger diamonds that ultimately are, are, have been more expensive than that which isn't an everyday thing, and I don't mean to imply that. These are very rare. And, this is and your favorite. It, it, it is. Or most memorable. It, it's super memorable in that it's one of the rarest gemstones in the planet at that quality, at that size. And, and you got I, to hold it. I got to hold it and babysit it, find it, nurture it until it was in its forever home. Uh, so it, 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 it's one of the most memorable things that I've done in my 24 years to date. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a really cool piece. So you talked about the process of creating this ring, finding the stone, designing it, putting it all together. Really, what is your favorite part of being a jeweler and a goldsmith? Not to a specific piece, but 
to a specific part of the process. Sure. Yeah, that, that's actually an easy thing because, you know, it, without people and without stories, without emotion, I don't think jewelry stores would exist as successfully as they do today. And there's all different calibers of jewelry stores. And I, and I think the ones that simply resell things that are mass produced aren't doing well. I think the jewelry stores and boutiques that build things around what a client wants, customization, I think they can be successful. And, and we're successful today because that's our focus at Impress, is building one-of-a-kind, very small edition things. And the, the part about it that makes it the best is the, the connection that we have with people when they introduce an element of history into the project. So, you know, we talked about diamonds from family members or colored gemstones from, you know, deceased family members, uh, grandparents, great-grandparents, parents, siblings, ashes from individuals that are being decoratively and creatively, uh, you know, in, entombed into a piece that nobody would even know that it's a, a, an ash holder and a, a super memorable piece for a family. Um, it's really when, we, when we're able to figure out why the client is here and why it's so important for them to find a piece of jewelry, which ultimately means us getting it out of their head, what they're looking for, connecting dots for people of in what kind of scenarios do they want to wear this piece, what, what kind of lifestyle do they have, activities do they enjoy that we would design a piece within the parameters and scope of their lifestyle. But the, the connection of the people that were important to them and then how we connect those dots and take a memory but are able to make something that is reflective of the memory and out of respect and love for the people in their life but building something that's for you that you love to wear because it fits your style. So it's really, it, it's the fusion of, of those elements. It, it's finding and understanding and embracing the why that a client wants to do something. They don't even know what it is yet many times to understanding the, uh, the situation in, in which how and who they want to give it to or how they want to wear it to how do we connect the dots with the stuff, the things that they're bringing us to right. incorporate. And then, you know, it's going back to those early roots of goldsmithing, it's, it's a fusion of form and function always. I mean, I think there's out there art that is pretty on a wall and it can stay on a wall and it's great. Nobody has to touch it or move it. God forbid if you do, because it all comes apart. That's the jewelry that we build, that I built, has to be able to s sustain wear and use and right. un unplanned things, you know? And your little girl grabbing your necklace and pulling on it, you know? I mean, that's so we didn't plan on that necessarily, but, but we did because we built it in such a way that we don't have to worry about it. So it's, it's all of those things that come together, um, the story and the emotion that the client has that sometimes we have to draw up out of a well, you know, we bury a lot of these things. But once I can connect with a person about that, frankly, the project becomes easy. It's it, the execution of it is we know the ins and outs of how things should be done to be a durable piece and a beautiful piece. It, it, but it becomes easy at that point. The hard part sometimes is just figuring out the emotion. And once that's there, it, it's almost always a home run. Cool. So talking about how you got involved and your passion behind being a goldsmith and jeweler, what advice would you give somebody who their interest is piqued with this jewelry making thing? Sure. 
Um, you know, I think I'm a big Mike Rowe fan, call out other podcasts that's obviously hugely successful and individual that is. I, I think there's no substitute for hard work. I think there's no substitute for sustained effort. And I think to be a goldsmith jewelry designer, uh, you know, forget jewelry store owner. I'm not, I'm not talking about that, although it certainly can lead to that in, in many instances. I mean, it's American dream for yeah. having your own place. Oh, yeah. But it, it has to do with not being afraid to work hard and to work more than a 40-hour job. And without being critical of anybody and, and their life choices because there's consequences to every decision tree that oh, we yeah. choose. Good and bad decisions if, or consequences. If you want to get excellent at something, there, there, there's some golden rules out there in, in the expertise field that it takes about 10,000 hours to become an expert at something. To do something sustained for about 10,000 hours repetitively in the scope of your career is where comfort arrives, where experience is derived to the point where you might be considered an expert. That 10,000 hour rule is kind of a baseline and it takes a long time to get there and so it's hard to do it with just a 40 hour go home at night and do something else um, type job and and I've never been that way for good or bad I mean there's consequences to it and I'm not saying it's for everybody but if when I was learning jewelry CAD which is another element so I had interest in draftsman drafting being a draftsman when I was coming out of high school and, and considering technical school it wasn't about jewelry then but it was about drawing and scale and proportions and angles and whatnot and, and perspective views and CAD is a computer assisted design it's it is a software we, program right we, we morphed from only being able to do it on paper and pencil and compasses and rulers to being able to obviously do it on a computer and and, that, and that's really ballooned since I came out of high school in 1993 and it was AutoCAD had just released its uh, 3D version of their software it was 2D before that so it was you could lay out all your views in 2D only but it had no perspective 3D modeling capability until about 92-93 so anyways um, when I was learning CAD full circle back into the jewelry industry as a goldsmith, I didn't embark on the CAD part of it and the computer design until maybe 2007, wow. 2008, somewhere in there. It became apparent that that was going to be the way. You know, If you were going to be able to replicate a design, modify a design, it was better to do it in a computer and then either mill it out of wax, which is a subtractive process. We take away from a block of wax and yield a shape or as 3D printing, rapid prototyping was developed and, and made easier, and it's easy today in comparison than it was 10 years ago even. It's an additive process. We take nothing and we, through layers, are able to create that same shape and right. actually much more complex than a subtractive milling process, which I've done both and understand both. So in learning CAD, it took doing my day job of taking care of clients and being a goldsmith, bending metal and, and soldering and welding and, and business-related things, and then going home with my laptop after Dustin was put to bed and, and or that was just before he was born, but after he was born, certainly that, and taking it on as a hobby. So instead of doing something else and just watching TV or just going outside and, and playing basketball or, or shooting my bow or whatever activity, there was almost a daily t 
time set aside from an hour, two hours, three hours, middle of the night of learning how to manipulate software to get a product that I could call a, a beautiful piece of jewelry ready for the next step. So going back to your question, what would you recommend? It, it really, it's hard work. It's being willing to put in more than 40 hours. It's willing to treat what you want your career to be as a hobby in addition to a job. So Love what you do and you never work a day in your life. It, and it's that. That, that. That's a really strong thing because it is work, you know, and some days it certainly are better than others. We have a lot of great yeah. days. Um, but, yeah, you, you have to treat it as more than a 40-hour job. Otherwise, in my personal opinion, you're not going to get really good at it or your competition will be better than you because they love it and they embrace it and they eat it up and they're doing it far more than 40 hours a week. And, and people can tell that when they come in. I think in. so. And, and the comfort that we have discussing things with clients, if I can communicate with them and they take the time to do that, there's nothing we can't do. I mean, that, that's, you know, maybe that's cocky, but it's the, the I mean, it's is, a matter of time and money for the most part and physics. Any, anything is possible if you throw enough time at it um, and experience. We have the experience to do it. And it's right. not just me. I mean, we have a team, again, talking about all our goldsmiths and our sales staff and you. And from a creativity standpoint, it's not that I have all these dots figured out before and far from it. Not even that. But I do have a good ability of connecting dots when I, when I hear the different pieces of the puzzle and then rein them into a workable, feasible project at a budget. I can do that. I do it every day. And so, obviously, being a goldsmith, you went, we said you went from being your own boss to being the baby. Still kind of the baby when it comes to experience, but now you're the boss again. Why did you want to start Impress? Yeah, being? so, you know, I worked at another uh, family jewelry store for 18 and a half years before we opened Impress. And so, obviously, the, there was a period of a window of overlap there where I knew I wasn't going to be where I was. Um, and it was just a little more risk in your life. Right? It, it, I just, I, I, the risk there wasn't enough, right? Um, no, I'm probably a risk taker to a degree by nature. That's fact. It's personality trait. Um, I like to ski fast. Hunt big game. I've, you know, I I enjoy oh, lots of different activities that perhaps would be considered some risk taking in that, and I, and I think it's mitigated through experience and and outlook and capability, but but still, um, I think. Um, you know, it, I was working with a business partner, you know, we had a, a separation of perhaps outlook and uh, directionality of where we wanted to go. And although I had some ownership uh, to a degree in that business, I, it wasn't able to be controlled by me. It, you weren't a majority nope, partner. I wasn't majority. So really being along for the ride was something that I decided I didn't want to do anymore. So at, and Impress was born of a desire to be in control of your destiny to a greater degree. Cool. So in 2016, November 15th, 2016, two weeks late from my target date of November 1st, we opened Impress. And, you know, through uh, challenges, uh, certainly COVID challenges of, of oh, 2020, yeah. um, you know, we were shut down for six weeks, but, you know, we're blessed with the the through our passion, we have, I won't say unlimited amount of work, but my goodness, between custom jobs and watch repair jobs and jewelry repair jobs. We have no need of wanting more. <laughs> it's Right now we're figuring out how do we grow past a bottleneck that I like to have my hands on a lot of things. Like a lot of business owners, there's a, your ability to control and direct 
is a good thing, but then you have to grow past it. So right now we're going to work. That's what 2021 is going to be about. It'll be about taking our designs to the next level with Impress and also figuring out how to take care of more people um, in a, a faster way because we've been busy, thank goodness, and, and super appreciative to the community, particularly during COVID and that and, and having just a, a huge backlog of work that we were able just to, just to stay doing through that entire time. When, right. you know, we're... I wish we weren't as far behind as we are, uh, given that it's uh, mid-September of 2020 and Christmas is coming quick. Um, but they're projects and they'll be happy clients when they're done and referrals from that and we'll take it to the, to the next year and figure out how to grow from there. Okay, so one last quick question. Impress Jewelry Creations. I know we were almost flawless jewelry creations. Thank goodness for that. There was a lot of names that we considered. Flawless Fine Jewelers was one of them. We ended up with Impress. We did. So I, there's a lot of promise behind that name to impress um, people. Why that name? So, yeah, it's a good question. And it's more of a journey in that. And going back in time, you know, it's things become a blur to a degree. Um, when we think about impress, you know, we, we think about perhaps in that the utilization that you did that, you know, we're impressed by something. And, and certainly the things that we do for people, uh, whether it's jewelry repair or finding something beautiful out of our cases or building something one of a kind. Um, I, right. There's some one of a kind pieces here that are designs. Others that are uh, companies that we do business with. Um, that's a big part of what it is. But I, I think the bigger part behind the name has to do with an, an alternate usage of the word impress, and that is to impress upon. And which, when I think of that word, you know, I think of the old wax seal rings, the, the signet rings of old, where you would put your seal of approval on something, your signature of something into this impression, and it would convey um, certainly the integrity of that and all, all the, the connotation behind what that seal was. But it's more of an indelible mark. It's We've made an, an impression on you where we've affected you positively in a memorable way that lasts longer than, than the moment. And it's that impression and um, our ability to create memories for the individual or for the family, which is really what's behind the name. And so, yes, we want to be impressive. We want to have impressive things. But really, we want to be able to impress upon you the, the, the significance of the moment that's important to you through the creation of an incredible piece that tells your story. And that's where Impress came from. Well, thanks. That's a really cool story. So that's all the questions I have. So that's going to end this episode of Inside Inclusion. Thank you guys for taking a listen to the podcast. If you're watching the video, hopefully I can get this one up uh, on YouTube. Thank you for watching. Uh, check us out on Facebook. We have some of our one-of-a-kind pieces on there, like this um, blue opal. Uh, that's definitely pictured on there. And you can take a look at the team, ask us questions. Um, Go ahead, send us a message if you have a question. And if there's a, a topic that's interesting to you, there's certainly lots of things uh, pertaining to the jewelry industry, where, whether it's how we refine gold or where diamonds come from or synthetic diamonds versus natural diamonds, which is more a, a topic du jour that 
uh, is being discussed in the industry and, and among clients too. It's already come up. So if there's something that's interesting to you that you want our uh, input on and our opinion on, uh, we'll certainly be happy to discuss it in our uh, weekly podcast. So again, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Thanks guys. See you next time.